Welcome to Restart Radio. I'm Dave Pickering and I make podcasts. I spend most of my life online, but I've got no idea how to fix any of the devices that help me to spend my time there. But I've been invited to a party. It's called a restart party. And this party might just help me to understand the technology that I use every day and all the time. A Restart Party is a pop-up community repair event where skilled volunteers help people diagnose and repair their broken electronics. They are organised by the Restart Project, who are a London-based charity and social enterprise whose mission is to spark reflection and change in our relationship with gadgets. So let's go now to a Restart Party. Hi, I'm Halima and I'm a volunteer at the Restart Project. We were chatting previously, I was telling you that I was looking for a gift for my nieces. So I've got four nieces and, um, and one uh, nephew. And I was really sad actually to go into the gift shops looking for, for gifts and all the nice stuff about science, drones, robots. They were labeled for, for boys. They were all blue. It was appalling. And, and all the, 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 the gifts labeled for, for girls, they were like about. Um, kitchen things and and baking and and for me it's boring but I, I can see the, the the appeal. But boys might like to do those things too. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And actually, my nephew he's got kitchenware things and he likes to play with it as well. And then I think it's just wrong to be labeling things and making the choice instead of the kids. Today's episode is about gender and how gender affects both the design and the use of our technology. When you talk about gender, you're often asked to justify why gender is relevant at all. And that certainly happened during the making of this podcast. From a restart perspective, when people are frustrated by their technology, they often give up on it. The value that the technology has for them is reduced and ultimately they're encouraged to view it as obsolete or to keep buying new things in the hope that they will offer them the solutions that they're looking for. So when women are frustrated with the technology that they use, that is very relevant to the work that Restart does. Understanding the frustrations of all groups of people in relation to their technology is crucial to changing our relationship to it. It's also worth noting that there was a huge amount of interest on Twitter and from restarters at restart parties. Whatever some people might think, a lot of people are interested and concerned about the ways that gender and technology intersect. As I say in the intro for every episode, I don't really know anything about technology or fixing things, but gender is something that I've looked into quite a bit. Today, we're going to be primarily talking about gender, about men and women as socially constructed concepts. Gender and sex are intertwined. Sex is a biological concept and there is lots of variety in how the three sexes of female, male and intersex experience the world. My name is Alexandra Deschamps-Soncino and I'm a product designer, interaction designer and I am the founder of the Goodnight Lamp. 
among other things. I have been running the Internet of Things meetup in London for over five years now. I am generally interested in what happens when technology and products meet because I trained as a product designer, as an industrial designer. It's a bit of a, a bit of a side project that I started uh, a little while ago, over a year and a half ago now, called The Good Home, and it's investigating what we mean when we talk about smart homes. I was always very interested in the human experience of the home because when you talk to a number of companies and a number of people, they often think of women in kitchens as being technology in the home. Gender and gender issues, I guess, start to bubble up naturally from people's responses to the home and the home space. Uh, and I think that that is a conversation that happens more often than when you talk about smart cities. Somehow the home presents itself uh, as a, a space where people can talk about gender issues much more easily. I recorded Alexandra talking to Janet from the Restart Project in an occasionally noisy space. And today's episode will cut between that conversation and an impromptu panel about gender and technology that I put together with some of the people who help make Restart Parties happen. Uh, you're speaking to Tim. I'm a Restart Party host. Hi, I'm Sophia. I'm also a Restart Party host. My name's Alexandra. I too am a Restart Party host. Uh, I'm Dave. I'm a Restart volunteer. So the first question is, are gadgets gendered? I would say yes, but increasingly no. I think most products in general are gendered, like there are exceptions, but I think genderizing things starts from kind of before a child is born even, so yeah. Oh yeah, I think life is gendered. As you said, before birth, everything is carefully stored in the place. Even now you get these subtle details of gendering, whether it's the implicit assumption about size, you know, oh, everything has to be smaller for women. Well, no, some women are large, you know, sorry. Similarly, some men are small. So you get all those tedious little assumptions, and yes, you still get pink things for girls and blue things for boys, even today. And I have to pinch myself sometimes and remember it is the 21st century. I am the least technical person here, and that is a product of of my gender and my age, I believe. If I was a guy, I most probably would have been tinkering with things as I grew up. Even though I am a host... I haven't really, I can't say that I've really embraced the technical side. I just sort of like focusing on the marketing and, and the communications. And um, and I think I could be more more involved in the tech side. And I, okay, it, it might be partly my personality, but I do think it's a product of age and gender. We asked our volunteers and we also asked on Twitter about household appliances and are they by default gendered or are they attempting to appeal to a certain gender or marketed to a certain gender? The first thing people talked about was power tools. And, and, and immediately I kind of I started to think about how the home is this female gendered space, but then you have like DIY as potentially a, a space that's gendered as male. Tools, uh, and, and I think from the beginning, the image of a tool that you have when you're a kid and you're taught about history is a male chimpanzee with a piece of stone that's carved in a particular way. It's never a female chimpanzee who's trying to do something. And so we have continuously use this image of men and tools in a way that's highly unproductive, of course, but those tool companies, the Bosch's of the world, the Schneider's of the world, whoever, uh, then turn to their ad agencies who are mostly full of men 
who then will cater to themselves when they're developing the ads for those tools that then continue to just, it's this vicious circle of conversation. I get more insulted about the kitchen space than I do about the tool space because the kitchen space is a space where men are designing specifically for women. And I'm kind of like, well, I'm sorry, didn't you think maybe to involve some women in the design process of those spaces that you know are unfortunately mostly full of women? An event which shall remain nameless has a, a yearly event about kitchens and all of the speakers are male and all of the contributors to this event are male. And I find the levels of absurdity in that are, are kind of crazy. So I find it more insulting those uh, spaces where we clearly are ignoring women's point of views and women's experience of the space we design for than the ones where clearly more women should be involved but aren't currently. Who are gadgets designed for is the next question. The classic example of this, I mean, it's, it's a bit off topic, let's say, but razors. Razor companies produce a pink razor for women and a blue razor for men with literally the same blade in them, right? right? And charge more for the women's one. Yeah, yeah, let's be clear on that. They charge more for the women's one. You know, it's exactly the same product. And they will argue that, you know, there are differences in the ergonomics, there are differences in the packaging, blah, blah, blah. But it's the same product, different market, different price, etc. Um, and I'm sure the same thing happens with gadgets to some extent. I'm sure if you look carefully at mobile phones, you'll find that they are more subtly targeted. Some are targeted at women more than men. Another example is the phablet. All the big mobile phones. Now, those are implicitly gendered because men tend to have bigger hands. So once you get above a certain size, it's really impractical. There are those implicit physiological genderings of things like that. You know, OK, you could argue, well, that's, you know, just a fact that people want big phones. But actually, no, I would say it's implicitly being pushed in the direction of people who have bigger hands. What I'm hearing is that design is failing women, potentially, or people, non-gendered people, people who have, or have responsibilities in the kitchen. And also, it's potentially failing women who are traditionally less involved in DIY spaces. And that's something that people brought up with us is, you know, just ergonomically, power tools are not made for women. I mean, that's, that's an old story. How precisely are designers failing women in the sense that, like, I did mention that I, that I couldn't figure, I couldn't think of how kitchen appliances are actually tailored to women or made for their needs but on the same token i couldn't really i couldn't imagine how they could be better if you see what i mean or how women are being failed by designers in that space if we're specifically talking about the kitchen for example the kitchen's a very interesting space that has gone through many different changes the model of the kitchen that we have where we have a counter and we have countertops and we have things that are kind of above us. Anybody who's shorter than 5'5", five five, which includes myself, means that I never put anything up on the top shelf because that's just never going to happen. I need a literally taller person in the house with me. Uh, which probably has led a, a lot of my boyfriend decisions is on the basis of their height more than anything else. And I think that there's a, there's a failing in the natural assumptions that ergonomically we will make because ergonomics was designed on the basis of men's measurements in the army in the 20s. And we 
then started doing things like the Frankfurt Kitchen. So the Frankfurt Kitchen was designed by an architect. And yes, she was a woman, but it was a very tailorist way of looking at the engagement with the kitchen space, uh, which is the kitchen as a place of assembly. utility and, yes, assembly and utility and speed and efficiency. And I think some people's experience of their homes are like that. Some people aren't. And so I think that to cater to someone whose experience of their home is utilitarian and to cater to those who want, I don't know, more romantic experiences, I don't think that range exists in how we think about the kitchen. I think what we're given now is you can have a wooden ladle or you can have a metal ladle, or you can have a plastic one. Not what other types of instruments could we be using in order for someone to collect a lot of liquid in one go because they want to pour something. We haven't come back to the whole premise of what are we trying to do and what are we trying to enable and who are the people who are trying to be enabled in different ways. And yeah. and I think that, that looking at things that way would unlock a lot of creative potential that we simply have not tapped into if you're a male designer and you're looking to design your ultimate product then that's that's your viewpoint isn't it so it's, it's maybe harder to to make it broader and, and implicitly maybe you know perhaps unconsciously you're you're more guided towards a certain direction right so maybe the question should more be who are the designers rather than what are they design who, who are they designing for because if the designers are men and i think we, we can assume that m- many designers there were there are women who are designers mm-hmm. and more more and more as the years go on and that's great but if men are the majority of people who are designing then they will be designing for for people who are like them and they won't be knowing about these kind of issues they're supposed to be designing for a brief and a market so i don't see how they can be unaware of it given that (laughs) half of the population or over half of the population are female so i mean yeah yeah they're not unless they're kind of an entrepreneur and doing things themselves they're not supposed to be designing themselves they're supposed to be designing for society no, that's, that's very true, and we, yeah, you're absolutely right. We shouldn't let those male designers off the hook. Uh, they should still be designing for everyone. Absolutely right. Yeah, I'm not sure how much I can add to this. I would say, though, that this appears to be a failing of capitalism. I mean, are these companies all designing bad products? Surely they want to sell as many of their, these products as possible. So are their designers just not very good? I I would be suspicious of people designing intentionally for a specific market surely if they're a good designer with a good boss they want to be designing to get the most sales but maybe i'm missing something here i think the the relevant point in relation to what tim's just said is that the people who aren't being catered for their purchasing power they haven't got the clout they haven't got the economic clout so before they could ignore women but as women have their own earning power and they are decision makers then it's less easy for them to be ignored but it's still relatively marginal if you understand what I'm saying right so I think if you don't have the economic clout whether it's to do with your gender or your your demographic or whatever although you have needs they can they can still easily be ignored unless you're a social designer you know you're you're designing for a social purpose I suppose it feeds itself doesn't it because I'm thinking Okay, power tools or something, it's a classic, you know, like men doing the DIY, putting up the shelves. And like, if, if there's less women actually doing that, then of course, to cater for the market which is there, you're going to design it mm-hmm. for men. Yeah. But then that in turn makes it harder for women to 
access it, so it, it kind of, you kind of get stuck in a cycle. One of the things that strikes me in all of the conversations we've had with our volunteers and people on Twitter and all the thinking I've done is that essentially it comes down to there's just not enough variety. There's not enough different kinds of devices and gadgets for different kinds of people. And the gendered aspect is just one of the more glaring ones. Men with small hands will have the same problems with power tools that most women do. And so it, it really comes down to just kind of the lack of choice and options. And we think that there's so many different kinds of devices. Devices, but they're all made almost in the same logic without real allowance for difference. So when we ask people about handheld gadgets, you know, the classic thing is that uh, women just find that handheld gadgets are not made for their hands. It's just a, it's a classic one. Um, mobiles, we get all these stories of people dropping mobiles and not being able to use the cameras. I think they're, they're designed with an average in mind. And an average is probably, again, an average based on data that's uh, century old. In the same way that People's setting of their air conditioning is on a setting that's based on data that's 100 years old. That was tested on men, which is why women are always cold in the office and men are always too warm. Utilizing an average is extremely unhelpful. I think it requires companies to then subdivide into different genres of manufacturing that they simply cannot accommodate, and that's a separate issue. So the production costs being higher because you suddenly have four versions of one product are costs that they would have to swallow if we are to accommodate everyone. I like Sugru for that reason, because Sugru, in a way makes things bigger when they need to be bigger, but it certainly doesn't make things smaller when they need to be smaller. And so whether we need that average to start to go down, so invite people to design on the lower end of that bell curve for smaller and then have some add-ons to make it slightly bigger for, I don't know, the people who have large hands who really struggle to tippy-tap on a screen. I think you have less of those problems than you have of people finding it just too big. Doesn't it? It's all about the screen, though. They seem to be they seem to be so obsessed and enchanted with the idea of a big screen, like like, like we can't live without the extra screen. Well, there's, there's a certain amount... Uh, of that in terms of tech that that masculinity is sold as like big and strong and manly and so that tech gets designed in that kind of a way which doesn't suit all men certainly doesn't suit me yeah it's like i got the plus you know it's like i want to impress you i got the plus version it's like that is an interesting point, though, about um, whether manufacturers can afford to make uh, so many different kinds and whether they can afford to not work from averages, as you say. But I think it's something that they'll have to be pushed on in more and more in future. So our technology is often being designed based on averages. There are numerous groups of people who are underserved by the lack of diversity in sizes, styles and other elements of our gadgets. Not just women, but women are probably the most obvious and almost definitely the biggest group that call into question these averages. Women are, as has been mentioned in this episode, over 50% of the population. And so if those averages are aimed at men, then I think an argument can be made that they are averages that represent the minority of people, particularly when you take into account that many men do not fit the standard idea of what men are either. What about software? Are we gendering software? I think if you think about software as any other kind of product, I mean, 
whoever's selling it, they're trying to market it to a particular audience. So if they've got someone in mind, often that typical user might be of one or the other gender. I think I'm sure some people are really trying to have a broader appeal and they would be trying to do a balance between both. It can often be quite subtle the way something is presented. Maybe the product doesn't look a particular way, but the language that they use to try and attract their their key users might might give it a slant, I suppose. I would have to say that it is consciously and unconsciously. If we look at social media and the way in which that's used, it's supposed to be connecting people and potentially broadening our minds. But I feel that with all the algorithms and and things like that, it's actually narrowing people's choices and information and the like. Um, let's say Windows 10 and all the privacy concerns around that. If you go online and you look at a lot of communities that are discussing that kind of stuff, they're predominantly men. Like if you go on YouTube, the whole the presentation, it's like blokes sitting behind a keyboard and just everything, the whole language and whatever. I want the information so I access it anyway. Yeah. So I think it is quite gendered. And I just think it's a socialisation thing. And the algorithm stuff does not help. You know, if I watch one thing, that doesn't mean that's all I want to do. Oh, for some people it may mean that, but not for me. And I get quite annoyed with all of that. OK, well, here's a thought that fundamentally most software is based on a traditional operating system, Windows, Mac OS, whatever, which is ultimately based on some kind of desktop metaphor. So what you're talking about is, Ultimately, the underlying software is based on the idea of an office. And there's a whole lot of implicit hierarchies in there. It's all hierarchically structured, top-down. It's assumed that you are an office worker if you use a computer implicitly. You could argue, well, women are office workers, but they tend to be subordinate office workers. So I would say in some ways, actually, even the, forget about the applications you use, the apps... Some of those I've actually seen which are quite neutral these days, more and more so. But the underlying basis is that of a top-down structured hierarchical office, which I would argue is implicitly gendered. It's interesting as well what you were saying, Alex, like um, about things being presented by men. Like at restart parties, I often see people looking up videos on how to make stuff. And it's always a man in that video showing you how to sort out Windows 10 and all of that sort of stuff. It's also normally a white man, probably a white middle class man. So there's there's all of these barriers that are in there that you don't even think of. Um, And I think about gender all the time and I hadn't thought of those. Uh, So uh, there you go. Thinking about how things like software and artificial intelligence can be gendered either explicitly or implicitly is a relatively new area of critique or consideration for most people. Many people have not considered this at all. Many people have not considered how biases and defaults might affect the software and the coding and the programming that creates and frames the technology that we use. We need to take a serious look in the mirror and always challenge the way these things are gendered. And we also need to consider the social and human implications as we move forward into the future, especially when software is starting to be embedded in more and more things and appliances. This notion that all software is like somehow gender neutral, it seems to be quite pervasive when in fact... Um, I think that needs some real unpacking, like especially if we look at who makes software and who uses software. But can, can you think of any examples where software is like blatantly favoring 
one gender or another. The fact that we still have to have conversations about how period tracking is a thing that needs to be designed for. Even just saying it, you're like, I'm sorry, what? That that's not a functionality that's on every calendaring application ever is ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous, because 50% of the world will have to deal with that experience, will have to deal with the experience of tracking for medical conversations and then you end up having to do this on a piece of paper or adding it like as a special thing in a calendar whereas actually I just want an option on every single calendar that goes that time of the month. Boop. Other people have other experiences of the world and those experiences of the world include using things in different ways for different reasons. The last thing I wanted to ask you about is probably the potentially most polemic or just the most irritating from my perspective is AI and voice-controlled virtual assistants. How is it possible that they're all gendered as women? How, in 2017, we only have the one from Google and you actually ask for help, you don't just boss it around? Like... You say, okay, Google, Google's not gendered. But all the rest of them, it feels a bit like you're bossing a woman. Yeah, it's horrible. So we started with Clippy. The equivalent of yes. Clippy in... Was Clippy um, gendered? We started with an object. And I think that that, in a way, was saner. The default is a woman. And not only is it retrograde, but it is a complete reflection, and I will make some enemies saying this, it is a complete reflection of the robotics field, which has influenced so much of AI development in the last 10 years, and I was working on a robotics project before anybody says anything, and uh, these are mostly men, influenced very heavily by science fiction literature, uh, in their robotics research, in their robotics objectives. By starting with a woman is talking to you about your needs, they're pandering also to very, very old research that says that if an instruction is coming from a woman, it is seen as less aggressive yes. um, and is more absorbable by men. So all of this is flawed and we need to yeah. redo all of this. So pinking and shrinking, I guess, is the term that people say about what is done to gadgets for women. I mean, do people have thoughts on, on pinking and shrinking? I mean, is, is that what women want? They, they want something pink and small? I think that's it's a bit of an oversimplification <laughs> of, like, of needs, isn't it? I think the term is a bit patronising. I understand the sentiment behind it. Pinking and shrinking, I just think that society is sophisticated enough now to cater for the different needs out there. I have a sewing machine at home that I've had for about five years now and it's so wonderfully plain in its design that doesn't have any sort of clues as to who it might be designed for except someone who who, who likes sort of nice, simple-to-use design. And I, I guess I found that impressive. That's, yeah, that's a good, good, a positive example. Well, I find the term pink and shrinking especially odd because pink is my favourite colour, <laughs> you know, which just yeah. kind of totally blows it out of the way. And also, yeah, I like small gadgets. I don't say I like tiny gadgets, but I do like things that are conveniently small. Yeah, I don't like aggressively large phones and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I'm totally on the wrong side of that. I, and I, yeah, I've never heard, nobody's actually come up with, there ought to be a term like, I don't know, bluing and growing, presumably, or something, <laughs> you know. As, as Tim said, sewing machines, for instance, interestingly, if you look at most of them, are very gender neutral. I've never seen a pink sewing machine. It's by the fact that stereotypically sewing is, you know, conceived to be a female thing. But for some reason, maybe because of that, 
nobody's ever considered genderizing sewing machines. Because, um, so my, my nephew, um, I don't remember what it was exactly, but I was uh, handing over something very pink to him. And he was like, oh, no, I don't want pink. It's for girls. And I was like, really? Are you sure? Because, you know, the one of the most famous rugby team in France, their shirts uh, is pink. And so I showed him and he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, so, yeah. I mean, the, the pink's a weird one anyway, because pink used to be gendered for, for, for men. Mm. And it's actually changed. Like a lot of these things have changed. Mm, like yeah. what the, the meaning of the colors have changed culturally over the years. It's, it's like high heels were originally designed for men. That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Napoleon were. Right, right, right. Think, yeah, exactly. They were for male ac- aristocrats. Yeah. How we gender things changes. Our understanding of sex and gender has changed. The positions of people within society change. And if we're going to find ways to change our relationship with the gadgets that we own and make them more sustainable, we have to incorporate these changes and incorporate the diverse needs and interests of people into them. Restart Radio is both a podcast and a weekly show that goes out at 1.30 on Tuesdays on Resonance 104.4 FM, repeated on Thursdays at 11.30 AM. As with all episodes of Restart Radio, we'll include links with background information to all of the issues and stories discussed over at therestartproject.org. The music that you've heard in today's episode was made with lasers and repurposed electronics and is a collaboration between Opto Noise and Cassini Sound. And big thanks to our new intern, Lauren Colley, who is a big step herself in helping to make the Restart Project podcast a much more sustainable process. Today's Restart Party is over so it's time to pack up the equipment and say goodbye to each other goodbye everybody